Okay, we are reading from Mark chapter 6 and verses 7 through 12. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Thanks, Janice. I'm going to pray. King Jesus, uh, we want to be a community that is open to your spirit, changing us, challenging us, encouraging us, helping us to imagine what life can be like together in your name. So Holy Spirit, today we open our hearts and our eyes and our lives to you. We pray that the words of the songs, the, the conversations we've already had today, the, the, life that, the way you've been speaking to us through everyday life this week even, that this morning you might bring to mind, call to mind the things that you are speaking into us. We pray for Brad this morning. We thank you for his energy and prep and uh, all the work that he's put into today. But we pray that as he echoes this story and your words, that your spirit might speak to us. We're open to you as uh, individual people, but we're especially open to you as a community, Jesus. Shape us, make us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Elliot. Um, Elliot mentioned to me, would I like to preach in January? And I, I was hesitant because it's a really busy month for me this month because there's lots of sport on and teachers only get 12 weeks a year holiday <laughs> and there's a significant amount of sport on the TV. Yeah, I'm going to talk really loud so you could probably turn that down a bit and that might stop that little ringy thing. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, so it's not quite the ideal month because, you know, now the cycling's just started as well as the Big Bash and everything else. So it's quite a sacrifice I'm making to get off the couch and um, just read a bit of Bible and share with you today. But it's really good to be here. Um, Way we go. In my role as a school teacher, one of the great things I get to do along with my mate Mark is to um, take a team to Cambodia every year. Um, it's really interesting. I love different cultures. I find it really interesting. I love travel. I don't want to travel to places like, you know, um, white Western places. I like traveling to interesting different cultures and thinking about cultures and thinking about our own culture. I find that really interesting stuff. And when I take a team to um, Cambodia, which we've done many times, one of the, um, obviously we have a feedback session at the end where we sit around and we say, what did you, what did you learn and what did you find interesting? And, um, and uh, one of the, comments that always comes up is, um, this is from year 11 kids, 16 year old kids, they say, I can't believe how happy people are. So we take, take the team through some really poor communities and you know, there's this tiny little, you know, the size of this stage, smaller, you know, whole families live together in this ramshackle place and they just all play together and it's pretty bad conditions. Um, and the team always says, um, I can't believe how content and happy they are. And it's just a really interesting thing. And then come back here to, um, to Adelaide and 
like, granted, I hate shopping, um, but I walk around Marion where you can buy everything and the lights are flashing, Marion Shopping Centre, this is, and everything, and I, I just don't see the same happiness. Maybe that's just me because I'm really unhappy about being shopping. But it's interesting thinking about um, just this culture and the community culture that third world countries live in compared to our Western culture. Because in the West, we've got some great things. So I'm not suggesting let's all move to Cambodia because we're going to be happier, um, you know, or indeed Africa, although you may just move back to Africa next week, Arthur and Tammy. But it's interesting to think about what about our Western culture um, is lacking. And over the last couple of weeks with Elliot and, and Phil as well talking about individualistic society, it's interesting thinking that through versus the community. And what are we missing out in the West? Um, See, so Australia is like in the top 10 wealthiest nations um, per capita um, in income. It's pretty impressive. Um, we're more connected. We've got more stuff. I was just listening to my dad. My dad's 70 something. He was saying when he was young, you know, he'd, he'd share a room with brother and then they only had a little bit of space and it was really hot and there's no air conditioning you used to sleep out on the veranda in the summer and that's you know now it just seems like you know my kids have to have their own room and we have to decorate it all and they seem to have so much more we live in a pretty affluent society but yet still still there's eight people in australia that take their own life every day and um beyond blue says that 45 percent of people experience mental health conditions and one million Australian adults will have depression, over two million having anxiety. And I'm not making light of that thing or talking about mental health necessarily. But it could just be a bit of a canary in the coal mine to think about our society. And even just generally, less the medical conditions of that, but just the anxiety that's, that we feel in our culture just generally. I know I um, often chat to a, a group of year 11 and 12 um, kids and we, you know, we get universities in there and they say all the wonderful things they could do with their lives and they can have everything and be everything and uh, just whatever they want they can you know, come to the universities and achieve that and a lot of them are just, just wide-eyed looking at us and just go, oh, I've just got no idea what I want to do and it's quite an anxiety inducing sort of thing, the, the, um, the life that we have I think. See, often I think our culture tells us that we can have a life of unlimited freedom, just you be you, you can be anything you want, be true to yourself, which sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds right. But of course, what if you don't know what you want to be? And with this unlimited sort of freedom and thing, what does that bring for us? Outside of community, it's just be yourself. What does that mean? What if you don't particularly like yourself? And what are you supposed to do by yourself? I think that really flies in the in the face of like maybe these third world countries like Cambodia where it's not like that. You're part of a community. Um, you can't just do what you want. There's heaps of limitations around you. Just interesting to think about. In a book by um, David Brooks, he tells this story. In 18th century America, a colonial society and Native American society sat unhappily side by side. As time went by, settlers from Europe began de defecting to live with the natives. However, no natives defected to live with the colonials. This bothered the Europeans. They had, they assumed, the superior civilization. And perhaps we feel like that too. 
And yet people were voting with their feet to live in the other way. The colonials actually persuaded natives to come and live with them, taught them English, but very quickly the natives returned back home. And during the war with the Indians, many European settlers were taken prisoner and held within Indian tribes. They had plenty of chances to escape and return, but they did not. When the Europeans actually came to rescue them, they fled into the woods to hide from the rescuers. The difference was that people in Indian villages had a communal culture and close attachments. They live in a spiritual culture and saw all creation as a single unity uh, entity. The Europeans had an individualistic culture and were more separable. When actually given the choice, a lot of people preferred community over self. The story made me think that it's possible for a whole society to get its, itself into a place where it's fundamentally misordered. I wonder that sometimes about our culture. I actually turned 45, so let's just round up to 50 this last week. So I'm using, I'm one of the elders in the church, as in age, and I use paper, which is a bit cumbersome, but there you go, I'm okay with it, hope you are. So, like, like we've been saying over the last couple of weeks, you know, I would like to pr propose that we live in a society that is misordered, that we put ourselves before others, and that's some of the brokenness of our Western culture. Um, as some social commentators, commentators say, in a hyper-individualised society, that is one in which a tendency for people to act in a highly individual way without regard to society. Researchers at a Harvard Graduate School of Education recently asked 10,000 middle and high school students if their parents cared more about personal achievement or whether they were kind. 80% said their parents cared more about achievements, individual success over relational bonds. So I think we desperately want community, but instead we tend to build big fences and then communicate with people on Facebook and just somehow feel a bit lonely. It's interesting, why did England have to appoint a minister for loneliness? It's uh, really interesting. Um, just to uh, bring the point, because normally I teach, and by this stage the students are bored of me talking, so I have to show something. So here, here's, a, here's an ad that I saw um, a little while ago. Uh, so we're going to cue that one. Thanks. So there you go. I just find that a really interesting ad, and I'm not having got the Defence Force at all, because Defence Force are... Uh, do a fantastic job and you know they've been amazing helping out the bushfires and stuff. Um, but I am just thinking about culture. So I'm sure the Defence Force went to a marketing team and says we need to market the Defence Force to Australian culture. How are we going to do that? And once upon a time they well could have come up with the ask not what your country do you can do for you but ask what you can do for your country and, and sort of um, hone in on, on that. And then interestingly, or sadly maybe, that the marketing team would have sat around the table thinking, how are we going to advertise um, the Defence Force and, and put that as a, a potential career path? I know what people are really interested in themselves and what they want, and let's attach that to a career option. Which is kind of a bit sad, I think. But it's an interesting insight into, um, into culture. I watch the Gruen Transfer sometimes. I think it's really interesting. That advertising can show so much about culture and what and what we are actually about. Um, it's really interesting. All right, I'm going to change gears now, and we're going to go and look at the text, and then hopefully we can wrap it all up at the end. So um, Jesus has something a bit to say about how we should live. 
that perhaps flies in the face of our um, culture. So in the text, I'm just going to go through it sort of verse by verse for a little bit and then pull a few things out, hopefully. So he called the 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two and giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. Um, so it's really interesting that back in that age, Jesus' message was getting out and it was a common thing for send representatives around to teach. And obviously the message, obviously he'd trained up the disciples for a certain amount of time and then it was time now to send them off to, to share the message. And then he went on and said, he told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals and not to, and not to take a change of clothes. Um, which sounds a bit weird. So um, the word he uses at the start actually is he he's, was started sending them out, which is sort of this language that invites us as a community to be sent out and then gives these sort of strange instructions about what to do. Um, Back for Jewish readers, this is highly symbolic out of earlier in the Bible in Exodus. So if you're a Jewish person, you would understand exactly what he's saying because it's linking the 12 disciples. It's not a random number they use for 12. It's actually representing of the 12 um, tribes of Israel. And the stick, the good news is when you're on mission, you don't have to take a stick, but the stick is a staff which Moses used, which is very symbolic. Um, an icon for Moses, you know, parting the Red Sea, all that stuff. The clothing, um, that's almost like a word-for-word quote when um, Jesus was calling the Israelites out of Egypt um, and they weren't to take any clothes with them. And so all that language, is saying, it seems a bit strange, is all about um, a reminding of the Exodus story. Um, and so what Mark, the writer of this gospel, is actually saying in this bit is saying that Israel's story is reaching its climax in and through Jesus. Jesus is kind of like the new Moses, the disciples are the new Israel, and together they're entering a new exodus out of slavery into freedom through Jesus, which is pretty exciting. So if you're confused, well, the good news is you don't have to carry a walking stick around and and not take any spare clothes when you're on mission. Um, That's kind of just a symbolic thing. Um, and the next bit's a bit strange as well. It says, um, if a place refuses to welcome you, listen to you, shake its dust off your feet as you leave to show that you've abandoned those people to their fate, which sounds a bit, sounds a bit harsh, but apparently um, religious people at the times when they went to pagan cities and then came back into the Holy Land, they would, dust all their f- the, they would dust their feet off as a real symbol to say, okay, I'm going from somewhere really pagan to somewhere holy and I need to do that and, and do that. So that's the symbolism in that as well. So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins, which just means really change their mind of how they live and to turn to God. They cast out many demons, healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. So what do, what do we do with that? Well, I just want to say a couple of things about it um, that might affect us living now in our culture. So while the strong culture voices will say that life is all about you, followers of Jesus are given a different story to live out of. One about others, about laying our lives down for the other. So like I said before, just, as, um, just like the disciples, we have been sent out to speak and to serve. So all of us have been sent. Um, the word actually sent, actually is the word we get like mission or missionary from. 
and then instantly when you think about missionary, you think about someone going over to Africa or um, heading off to a third world country and, and preaching the gospel in some mosquito-infested place, um, which is fantastic, and we should have people like that, you know, and we're really keen to hear how Arthur and Tammy um, go and how their ministry over there goes. But that may be for some of you as well, but actually we are all sent and we're all called on mission, which is a challenge to me just in the sort of normal day-to-day life, like, like I said, I'm coping with turning 45 and I've been teaching for like ever now, 15 years. And then I, there's this other guy at school that's been teaching for like, I don't know, 40 something years in the same classroom. And I just dread that I'll be that old grumpy teacher. I'm gradually getting grumpier. Um, but sort of in the monotony of life, it's really good to be reminded. And for me, that actually we called something more. Yeah, we've got to earn a living, but we are on mission and God sends us out. We are to call, we're called to speak and to serve. Um, it's kind of like the missionary overseas thing. It's kind of like when you go to a different culture, it's kind of easy in, in a way. The living things aren't easy. But when you just roll in, I've done like a number of short-term missionary trips. I remember when I was young and I had crazy hair like my son and I went into some rural Filipino place in, in the Philippines and then, you know, we're gung-ho and let's speak the word. And so I just play guitar in the middle of the street and we shut the street off. And, and if you've heard me sing, that's not a blessing to any culture. But, hey, what does it matter? I'm going to fly out a week later. So away we go and proclaim the gospel and did dramas and all that sort of stuff. It's kind of easy, but um, in that sense. But I think what's a harder challenge is to be missionaries why, where we are right now. And I find that a, a much harder challenge to actually my normal day-to-day job, my family, who I, who I run into, um, wherever I go, whoever's sitting on the couch next to me watching the tennis. Um, so there's two parts. Jesus makes it really clear. There's two parts of our calling, our, our mission, if you like. And one is to speak, and one is to serve. In the Bible, it talks about healing, uh, like driving out demons, and that that well might happen. Um, more commonly, probably, is to serve, you know, pray for people, heal them, serve them, love them, um, friend them, um, and point to Jesus. So I always think it's a challenge to do that because you probably tend to one or the other. You probably tend to speaking or serving, and probably most of us go serving because... I don't know, speaking out the gospel is a little bit harder. I remember, like, when I was young, I heard this thing, it sounded good, you know, preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. I actually think that's rubbish now. Um, at the age of 45, I've decided that's rubbish because Jesus is really clear that we are actually called to speak, you know, and just serving is fantastic, and that's part of what we're to do. But we are to be ready. We're to be ready to be able to profess the hope that we have in Jesus. And I think that's a challenge. I don't know what holds us back from that. Um, I find it really challenging. Um, like I was out cycling with a with a guy, and I sort of dropped the ball and didn't really do it. But he he'd had a a big like head injury thing and and near death experience, and he was recovering and um, and you know he's just in inquiring a little bit about, you know, my faith and 
I sort of downplayed it a bit. And in hindsight, I just think, you know, that was God calling me to be a missionary there and then and to speak at that moment. I kind of missed it, but um, who knows? Um, maybe one day I can pick that up again. So when we think about speaking the gospel out, I remember when I was young, when I was young, um, I decided with a friend of mine that we were going to go into Tea Tree Plaza, I lived out northeast, and just like evangelize. Like surely Jesus will be with us and be able to just speak the gospel. Um, so I thought, sort of thought that would be a great idea. So every, I did this about, like, about four times. So we get together to pray. God, we know you're there. Just guide us to someone to talk to. We're just going to preach the gospel to them and um, see what happens. Uh, so we had this block of time. So we did that. And it was absolutely terrible. The only people that talked to us are shopping assistants that wanted to sell us stuff. And we didn't want to buy anything. We were there to tell them about Jesus or something. And it was really hard work and very depressing. And that was the end of that story. Um, but why I tell you that is I think sometimes we like shift like spiritual things is when you set aside this time to be spiritual and pray and go and do this and the rest of life just happens. But actually, I think the burden that God gives us is light and that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, if we pray and just wherever we are and open, God will lead us to be able to just have the word and to be able to speak. And it will take some courage because you actually have to say something. Um, and profess the hope you have. But that's what I think um, it is. So it's not a hard thing, although it sort of is. So wherever you are this week, it's a challenge. Wherever I am this week, are we ready to profess the hope we have in Jesus? Are you ready to speak? If God opens a conversation, an opportunity, wherever you are, are you ready? What did you do on Sunday? Did you go to church or did you... Just admit that. Or, you know, anyway, you guys can fill in the blanks there. Second thing we're to do is to, we're called to serve as well. It's good to speak, but we're also called to serve. Jesus, like remarkable accounts of Jesus that just went around just serving, serving, serving. I've had a crack at doing bits of serving, and I always find that my attitude really stinks. Um that I always expect something in return. The amazing thing about Jesus is he just went about his day. He is God, man but God, and walks around giving and healing. And some people thank him. A lot of people don't. Um, and he just does his, his thing without expecting a return. I remember once I'd signed up for, Dave's doing it now, but I signed up for, um, to be like a mentor program for some like refugee people. So I got befriended this um, Afghani, you know, kid, he was only 17 or something, and it was like just supposed to hang out with them and try and help them in our culture and um, just serve and give up your time. And it just, again, it just went really bad. Um, he didn't really, you know, I was kind of expecting, oh, I'm going to be the new favorite uncle and we can have this thing, I can show him all this stuff and it's going to go really, really well. And who knows, maybe I can have a God conversation with him. But it was just awkward and hard and 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 bad and and he really struggled to want and anyway um but then it, it got my it got me thinking about well, what was i doing this for in the first place was it just all about me so i could 
tell everyone what amazing person I am and how I serve and I give up my time? Um, or am I just called to serve because I follow Jesus? Um, we all tend to do one or another, like I was saying. We tend to speak or serve. But the truth is we're supposed to do both as we're called to mission. So that's what my first big point. The second big point, which is what we've been tapping into the last couple of weeks as well, is that we're called to do this in community. Um, Jesus doesn't actually emphasize it that much in this passage, but I think it's partly because their culture is just community culture. Like he sent them out in twos, of course you do, and we always hang out and we eat together and we do life together, and that's what they did in the ancient world. And they communicate. They didn't have this individualized society like we do. So it's kind of just like, of course, I'll send you out, which means, you know, all of you together to do that, but two by twos, and we'll do this as a community, and we're sent to mission. Um, but in our culture, I think it's easy, and we're all part of our culture, to, to be individualized. I know in, even in the church, when I was growing up, I think when I was a teenager and just trying to work out what it meant to follow Jesus in my early 20s, I just came back to the thing, okay, so if I want to be a Christian, I want to serve God, what I have to do is I have to do my quiet time and read the Bible. That's the keys. You know, that's what you have to do. And if you've got that sorted, you're, you've, you've got your thing. I don't actually think that's quite right. It's kind of really by yourself, isn't it? And I, and I find that hard. And so then when you can't quite do that and then you feel like a failure and, well, I'm not really following Jesus because I didn't read my Bible this morning. But I actually think um, more and more that we're called to do this as a community, and it's much easier. We do devotions at school, and it's much easier to turn up and do devotions together. It's really good, actually. And, you know, I just realized at one point, actually, this is okay. I'm not quiet timing by myself. I'm quiet timing with this group of teachers about to head into the day, and that's actually okay. I'm doing it together as a community. And I think our church is brought into this culture as well a little bit because we're all part of the culture, but individual, sometimes, I don't want to get too finicky about worship songs and stuff, but sometimes I know we change, the worship leaders change um, the eyes to we and stuff. My son was complaining about it. What, what, what are we changing? It's wrong now. But I understand why, because a lot of the, the I, 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 and there's a place, and don't get me wrong, you know, Jesus modeled a place for solitude and getting by yourself between God, but a lot of what he did was in community. And so I think when we're in community, singing the we songs or changing those lyrics to we is a really good idea because we're, we're in this thing together. This mate of mine was, was analyzing one lyric. I won't go into it because then that will distract you next time you worship. Um, but it's talking about, you know, if you were the only person alive, Jesus would come and die for you. And it's sort of true, but sort of not, isn't it? Because it's not all about you. It's not all about me. Actually, we're all his creation. It's not just about humans. It's like all his creation together that God loves like beyond our comprehension. So it's sort of about you, but it's sort of not. It's sort of about us and all of God's creation that he laid down his life for. So it's actually much bigger. It's actually really liberating and exciting that we're part of this big thing. It's not all this pressure about it's just me and God by myself. I think it's a lot bigger than that. Um, so 
the question is, how do we do mission together as a community? And I know I'm sort of part of, um, part of a gospel group. What does that mean? It's easy to just fall into the let's do Bible study and eat yummy food. But what does that mean? I know Elliot's really good at imagining us for us and, and thinking that through. But it's just an ongoing challenge, I think. How do we do mission? But how do we do it together? It's not up to you by yourself to go out. How can we do this together as a community um, and do mission together? I guess one of the things that you can think about, and I was thinking about, I was thinking, um, why don't we? I think we want community, don't we? But then why don't we? It's really interesting. Uh, what stops us? And one of the things I'm um, um, talking to Janice about this book by John Mark Comer, it's talking about like being too busy and all that sort of stuff. And one of his big things is just having enough margin in your life. And so we we're thinking about that this year. Um, is there margin in your life to do community? And if there's not, you know, there's a challenge there for you, I think. Challenge for me. Is there space? I think it's a big one. Are we too busy, too exhausted, too spent, too distracted? It's a wonderful thing about mission trips is when you join together this group, you know, even naughty kids that don't like me and I love them with the Lord. We go on mission trips... We go mission trips together, and you come back, and you've got this sense of community. You walk around in the yard, you look at each other differently because you've experienced something. Um, it's really great. I was talking to Maddie just about um, like the bushfires, and that's like you know horrific in the Adelaide Hills, and it's been that. And she was saying, oh, y- you know, but it's been really great having the community gather around, and they have like nothing like a big disaster to bring out community and everyone's been really generous and helping out and that's fantastic and it got me thinking though why do we just have to wait for a natural massive disaster to do that why do we live our little lives by ourselves and then it takes something like that to do community all right i'm winding up um in a hyper individualistic individualistic culture that has loud voices that yell at us that we should think of ourselves first jesus speaks into that and calls us to repent to change the way we think about it to follow him i think we need to challenge the strong cultural forces which are all about the self ourselves and follow him in mission for the sake of the world our mission is to speak and to serve and jesus calls us to do this in community together laying down our lives to speak and serve. Um, I know Dalip a couple of weeks ago said, oh, has anyone got New Year's resolutions? And no one put their hand, or maybe one person put up their hand. I actually like New Year's resolutions. I think they're great. I think any time when you stop and think about your life is a really good idea. Um, So maybe let's not call it New Year's resolutions. Call it a rule of life, a rhythm of life. I think, you know, we're still in January. I think we've got enough time. You know, I haven't gone back to work yet. Um, there's enough time to think about the year ahead and to think, what, is it, what things could we put in place to think this through? How can we do community? How we, can we do missions? And, you know, Elliot was talking about prayer together and last week Phil was talking about serving together. Um, and you have to wait for next week's doing maybe evangelism together. What does it mean to, to serve God and be on mission together as a community? And how can you put it into your life? How can you do it in your gospel groups? Um, so 
in tradition, this is always makes me slightly uncomfortable, but I think it's good to do because we're talking about community. So we're going to do the let's talk to your neighbour for a bit thing, and that's slightly awkward, so you can introduce them. You're not allowed to talk about the tennis or the big bash or the cricket. We've got to talk about meaningful things, okay? Uh, maybe you're maybe allowed 20 seconds of that. But um, then you've got to get straight to the point. So it'd be interesting just to speak out that which, a couple of things, which do you gravitate towards, speaking or serving? And what do you find challenging in that? Um, and then spend, perhaps, you can do any of this. Um, imagine what serving and being on mission together as a community looks like. Because we're all in this together. It's not Elliot just um, telling us what to do. It's like we're serving Jesus, we're following him, we're called to do that. And another thing, which I think is a biggie in the West, is do we have margin in our life? Um, actually, John Mark Cohen was saying, um, in order to have love, in order to love, you have to have margin. In order to be on mission, I would argue as well, you need to have margin in your life. So speaking or serve, the challenging, imagining what speaking and serving, being on mission looks like in community, and then talking about margins. If you want to have a chat for a few minutes, and then we'll wind it up and have coffee.